Our scripture reading this afternoon will begin in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3 will begin in verse 16. It's only a few verses from this chapter. This is the curse that was set upon man and woman after the fall into sin. Genesis 3, verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So far from Genesis, now we'll turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes 11, this is the text that we'll be focusing on as well this afternoon. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 7, and we'll read through chapter 12 verse 8. Light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart. And put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you say, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets." Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. So far from Ecclesiastes, and then finally we'll turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. Luke 15, verse 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, 
Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have had more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants, and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So far, the reading from the Gospel of Luke. The text to which we'll be giving our special attention this afternoon is the text we read from Ecclesiastes, that is chapter 11, verse 7 through 12, verse 8. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we draw ever nearer and nearer to the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, we've seen that the preacher has now been laying out for us some final portraits, portraits of wisdom, as well as portraits of folly, uh, contrasting the wise life and the foolish life. We saw last week in particular that the preacher calls us, especially in light of the brevity of of our lives and the unpredictability of life and the certainty of death, the preacher calls us, throw your lives, uh, or, or at least give your lives away. He says, throw your bread out on the waters, and after many days it will return to you. He urges us, embrace a life of love, embrace a life of service, give your life to God, and He will give it back. Now, he urges us then to rest in the promise of God that He repays. Uh, He gives back uh, when we invest what we ourselves cannot even keep. He calls us, therefore, get up, embrace your life as it comes to you. Do not wait 
Uh, if you remember, do not wait for ideal conditions. Never stop loving. Never stop serving. Never retire from life and enter your rest until God calls you to enter your rest. It makes sense. If you don't know what life will bring, then spend your life in service to God and others while it is still here. Now, one of the things that we've been observing as we've been journeying through Ecclesiastes uh, is that one of the marks of wisdom is the ability to hold on to things with one hand, hold on to one thing with one hand, but not let go of the other with the other hand. Uh, we saw this, uh, an example of this in chapter 7, verse 16. He says, Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that not withhold your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. There's a holding on to one thing and not letting go of the other. Now, this is not the place to explain that verse all over again, but we do want to observe the principle here that when faced with life's challenges, we're... we're that, that folly is only capable of holding on to one truth or the other, where wisdom knows how to hold on to both. Uh, so you see this as well in this chapter and probably here more prominently than anywhere else. So verse 8, If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many, for all that comes is vanity. Are you able to hold those two things together? Rejoicing in this life while knowing that the days of darkness to come will be many. Or again, verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in all the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Or again, verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. And you say, well, but if youth and the dawn of life are vanity, uh, then how can I remove the vexation from my heart? For this is the very thing that gives me vexation. How How can I enjoy my youth if I know that it's very quickly passing and days of trouble and difficulty are ahead of me? Well, that's what wisdom in the fear of God can only do. It's a sobering message, but it's an important one to take to heart. The one who fears God will learn how to hold both things together. And that's what you see in the very uh, theme of this entire chapter. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. In the season when you are least likely to remember your Creator, that is the season when you most need to. Uh, Verses 7-10 to then can be summarized by the words, Celebrate life. Celebrate life. And we're continuing with the same tone we already saw at the beginning of of chapter 11, that call to give our lives away, to live our life to the fullest. Celebrate life. Verse 7, light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. It's true, isn't it? That's why every springtime uh, we're so excited when we see the snow finally melting away and we get to see the sun more often again. That's why psychiatrists speak of seasonal depressive disorder. Because light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. The best thing we can do, lockdowns notwithstanding, is get out there and enjoy the sunshine. 
Therefore, also verse 8, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. It's a surprising conclusion, isn't it, to a book that has told us over and over how, how much vanity there is in life. Yet he says, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Uh, the preacher has been very honest about the vanity, but his conclusion is, given that this life is a mist, given that it's very quickly passing, given that it is foggy and mysterious and impossible to hold on to, therefore, fill it with joy. Fill it with joy. Rejoice in all the years that God gives you. Brothers and sisters, do you enjoy life? Are we as a church known by our neighbors and our community as, as a people that love life? that know how to live fully and beautifully and gladly. Well, we should be. We're hardly going to win our neighbors to Christ if they look at us and say, well, look at the the miserable life that Christ produces in, in these people. Is your life a testimony to the fact that God is good, that God is generous, that God loves to give good gifts to His children? You see, the invisible God is made visible in the lives of His children. What kind of God do people see in us when we are cranky, when we are stingy, when we are constantly critical, or when we are cynical, when we are always the first to see what is wrong uh, and, and to point it out? What kind of God do people see in us? Remember the conclusion the preacher gave us in chapter 8, verse 1, a man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. Is that surprising to you that the mark of wisdom is a joyful face? It is not the superficial laughter of fools. We read about that in chapter 7, which is like the crackling of briars in the fire. It's not a superficial laughter. It's the deep laughter and gladness of the one who's put his trust in God and knows that God will lead me through the valleys and through the mountains, the heights, the low and the high of my life. God is leading me through it. So Psalm 34, verse 5, Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. So the preacher also then says to young people, verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. It's one of those verses that makes you, as you're reading, it makes you stop and actually double check. Did the Bible actually say that? Did the Bible actually tell me, walk in the ways of your heart? That's what it says. Now, don't let go of the second half of the verse. Know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. But also don't let go of the first half of the verse. What the preacher is saying here. What he's saying is, there's freedom. There's freedom in walking in God's paths. There's a measure of freedom when you're within the parameters that God has given us uh, where we, and and young people in particular, are encouraged to get out there. Go get them. Live life. Embrace the opportunities that come your way without fear because life is good. And it is a gift from a good God to be enjoyed and pursued to the fullest into judgment. I wonder, do we as parents teach this to our children? Do we encourage them to get out there and celebrate life? 
Do we set before them the, the goodness of the world that God has made and encourage them, pursue the desires of your heart, of course, within the bounds of, of God's law. Understand then, our God has made a good world and, and that life is a gift to be enjoyed, not just endured. As a father, God set His first, his first human son, Adam and Eve, uh, in the garden. And what did He tell them? He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, live. Live. And He gave them uh, for food all the trees of the garden save for one. As a garden of yes with one tree of no, not the other way around. And fathers, is that how you also raise your children? In a garden of yes with a tree of no. Why is it, we might ask, uh, that the lives of so many in the church, so, so easily for all of us, can be characterized by fear, by criticism, rather than a joyful embrace of what is good and what is life-giving? Now, yes, again, we can't let go of the second half of the verse. We do have to give an account at the end of it to God who will judge us for it all. And therefore, we do temper the call to follow your heart. We temper that with the warning that, as Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. So watch out as you follow your heart. We temper that with the warning in Proverbs. Don't lean on your own understanding, but follow in the fear of the Lord. But do we understand that the life to which God calls us is a life of faith which begins in resting in the sacrifice of Christ that's already been made for us, that allows us to work and to live from a place of rest? If we're paralyzed, if we're paralyzed by the fear of sinning, we become so preoccupied with the the risk that we might sin, what will we do? We'll, We'll stop living. Uh, will become preoccupied with rules and regulations, most of them man-made. And if we do that, not only have we fallen from God's grace, but worse, it's actually living in sin. It's living in sin because it's not living by faith. As we saw last week when we uh, read about the the parable of the talents, uh, to bury your talent in the dirt for fear of, of losing it, for fear of sinning against God, instead of using that talent to God's glory and for the well-being of others, is to waste God's gift and to incur, as that man did, to incur the judgment of his master. That's why the only way to live, the only way to live as a Christian is to live in God's grace, to stand in the security of God's grace. Christian, if you've been baptized into Christ, you are free from sin. You are no longer bound by sin. So walk freely. Now, don't use your freedom, as Paul says in Galatians 5. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but rather, through love, serve one another. Do you hear a call to life there? Uh, And if in your effort to serve, you find that occasionally I sin, Occasionally I do stumble and fall. Do not, be dis- do not despair. Do not be paralyzed. But lay that sin before the cross and then keep on going. Keep loving. Keep serving. Whatever you do, don't stop and do nothing for fear of sinning. In Christ, you are free. You see this reality so uh, so painfully displayed in the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, now, obviously, the warning here is real. The younger son did squander his his father's wealth. He chased after the things of the flesh. That was stupid. 
So there's the second half of the verse there. Know that for all these things, God will, will hold you uh, in judgment. But more painfully obvious to everyone but himself, the elder son is also sinning against his father. Only he's too foolish and too self-righteous to see it. Imagine yourself in the father's shoes for a moment, uh, listening to your son tell you this. Uh, Listen to him complaining, saying, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. What's the father to think? My son has served me for the young goat or the bull or whatever it is that he wanted from me, but not out of love because serving me was a delight to him. No, it was just a burden. This son's idea of obedience was to serve his father with a rigid and a miserable heart, uh, supposing that that's the obedience his father required. Must have been with great sadness that the son or the father had to say to his son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Why are you so miserable? The question that's left hanging in the air is the goat or the bull. Why weren't you celebrating for being here in my house? Where is your joy? Understand then, brothers and sisters, don't live in a garden of no, because God hasn't put you in a garden of no. Let's not raise our children in a garden of no. Yes, there are trees. There are trees to which we have to say no. But even then, we only do so because we know that God has prepared for us something better for which He desires to tell us yes. Does the way that we speak about God's law communicate that it is good and desirable? Uh, In the way that we encourage one another, in the way that we raise our, our children, is it the beauty of what is good that is prominent, that we set before us, or is it the fear of, of what is bad? After all, our goal in raising our children is not to get them to comply with the standard, but to love the standard, to treasure it in, in their very hearts. If we're going to communicate that to our children, though, we have to first be captivated by it ourselves. If we want our children to follow in the way of God, we need to help them see uh, to, to see the goodness of that by the example that we ourselves live. Do we rejoice in God? Is our own life uh, rich, free, and joyful? They need to know, our children need to know that the only time we tell them no is because we want to be able to say yes to something better. And the best way to persuade that to them, persuade them of that, is to live that uh, ourselves. Therefore, says the preacher, remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Now remember this word vanity, it's that that word we've seen all the way through. Hebel, mist, fog. In this case, it particularly highlights the fleeting nature of youth. Youth and the dawn of life are here for a moment, like the mist that hangs in the air, and then gone the next. Enjoy your youth because it's quickly passing. You're not going to be young forever. It will soon be gone, and days of trouble are coming. And so then we come to the corresponding half of this section, which the preacher now is calling us to hold on to in our other hand. Know that for all this, God will bring you into judgment. As Paul says in, in Romans 14, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Each of us must give an account of himself to God. Therefore, says the preacher, uh, remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years uh, draw near in, of which you say, 
I have no pleasure in them. Now here he's talking about old age. Talking about old age. It may sound overly strong to speak of old age uh, as, as evil days. Uh, but for many, they certainly are days that are marked by increasing challenges as the body begins to fail and to experience pain and weakness. Understand, young people, that life is going to get more challenging as you get older. Uh, and your body is going to start to break down. It's a sobering message that the wise, uh, the wise young person takes to heart. It doesn't need to rob you of your enjoyment of youth, uh, but you do need to be aware of it, that youth is fleeting, and, and you will grow older and weaker. And the most important thing the preacher calls you to during this season of your youth is remember your Creator now while you're still young. And to remember God is, is more than just to think of God uh, every now and then uh, or to pour, you know, perform some sort of perfunctory exercise by which you say, in, this, in doing this, I remember Him, like praying before meals or, or before bedtime. Those are all good things, but that is not the whole of remembering God. It is to know Him, to fear Him, to honor Him, to serve Him with, your, with all your life now, since that's what God created you to do. It's to remember, to remember Him is to remember He is the one who made me. He's the one who sets my days before me and gives me my calling. And He is the one who, at the end of it all, will also judge me. And so the preacher calls us to remember our Creator. Uh, and, and why? For one thing, it's because we, we must give to Him an account. It's before Him that we have to stand when all of this life is over. So we remember Him for that. And, and secondly, If you remember Him during your youth, it will set a course and direction for the rest of your life into your old age. You see, if your only goal in youth is to have fun, then know that the days are coming when you're not going to have fun anymore. If your youth is your idol, then know that that's an idol you're not going to be able to keep. And when you do finally wake up to the realization that you are no longer young, you know, after the midlife crisis and so forth, and you finally come to terms with the fact that I'm not young as I think I am, then you will say, well, now these days are evil, and I find no pleasure in them. Remember your Creator before then, because the one who fears God, who learns to fear God in his youth, will be able to say, even in his old age, I'm still able to serve. I'm still able to love my God. I'm still able to rejoice. As Psalm 92 says, the righteous are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit even in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. In other words, do not let your youth be all that you have. Because if it's all that you have, you will be sorely disappointed when the day comes that you don't have it anymore. The fun times are going to come to an end. So you have this moment in your youth, to set the direction and the course of your life. Learn to love God. Learn to know God. Learn to walk with God while you are still young. In verses 2-7, to then we get a a graphic depiction and description of old age. It's a picture of of a house. It's a picture of a house that's in decay. a, A body that is breaking down. The sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. It's a picture of the the springtime and summer of our lives slowly turning into winter. The clouds return after the rain. 
You know, in our youth, our, our low points, our bleaker days uh, would pass quickly into sunshine again. Now bleak days seem to hang around. Even after the rain, the clouds still come back. The keepers of the house, that's our arms, uh, they tremble. You know, suddenly carrying a cup of tea from the kitchen uh, to the, the living room is a, a gargantuan task. Uh, we used to be able to, you know, you remember when you were in college and you could hold your coffee in one hand, your briefcase uh, or textbooks under your arms while uh, while uh, talking on your phone in, in the other hand. Uh, and now it's a challenge just to get from the kitchen to the living room with, with a cup of tea. The strong men, he says, that's a, a picture of our legs. Uh, the strong men are now bent over. You know, they used to be able to run a marathon or, or skate faster than anyone else on the ice, uh, and now they can't even stand up straight anymore. The grinders cease because they are few, and we can't chew anymore uh, because we've lost most of our teeth. We've so few of them left. We used to be able to you know, tear into an eight-ounce steak. Well, now you need to have it cut up into tiny little pieces and mixed with the mashed potatoes because that's the only way uh, you're still able to eat them. Those that look through the window, our, our eyes are, are dimmed. The doors on the street are shut. Suddenly you're, you're shut in. We still use this, this phrase, you're shut in. You can't get out like you used to. You used to be able to hike mountains. Uh, and now a walk in the park sounds exhausting. So you're stuck in your house all the time. One rises, it says, at the sound of a bird. You, you find you wake up earlier and, and earlier. You don't sleep as much uh, anymore. Perhaps you're sleeping too much during, during the day. But even then, you rise at the sound of a bird, but you can't hear the birds uh, as well as you used to. The daughters of song are brought low. Everything's muted. Uh, we need hearing aids to be able to hear like we used to. We're reminded here of the, uh, the, the words of a certain Barzillai, an elderly man in David's court. Uh, he says in Second uh, Samuel 19, verse 35, uh, as David is, uh, is having to leave his, his palace, having to flee for his life, and he takes his men with him, and uh, Barzillai says, I, I can't go with you. He says, I am this day 80 years old. Can I even discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? It's a picture of old age. Suddenly, too, heights look a lot higher. Stairs become a momentous task. Uh, And the dangers of slipping and falling on on the sidewalk, which never concerned you in your youth, uh, are are now suddenly a very real danger. Terrors, as well, are in the way. Uh, Children running around too fast in the church basement, threatening to, to knock you over. People driving far too fast on the roads. You can't react uh, in time anymore. And the almond tree blossoms. Uh, our hair, if it, if it hasn't fallen out, uh, turns as white as snow. It's what the almond tree blossoming uh, would have looked like. Uh, the, the, the grasshopper drags itself along. Pathetic picture, isn't it? A very sad picture, a grasshopper. If you've seen a grasshopper uh, at the end of its life, uh, its its powerful legs no longer working, and it, it drags itself along. Uh, 
desire too fails. In the Hebrew, uh, it, it says the caperberry fails. The caperberry being uh, widely used in that day as a stimulant or an aphrodisiac. Uh, the caperberry fails. Eventually, with even with all the Viagra in the world, there comes an end to that aspect of your life as well. Particularly terrifying thought for our culture, which has made such an idol of, of that aspect of our lives. It will come to an end eventually. And man, man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about on the streets. Even before you're gone, it feels like the funeral has, has already begun. And that is, that is where you are going. Someday it, it will be your funeral. If you had a first day, you will also have a last day. And as they celebrated when you came into this world, they will mourn when you leave this world. Remember as well, he says, remember your Creator before the silver cord is snapped, before the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered by the fountain. So uh, they're all three different pictures of fragility, a a thin silver cord, like our life is hanging uh, by a thread uh, that will eventually snap, and and the bowl will shatter when it hits the ground. The pitcher is shattered at the fountain. The wheel is broken at the cistern. Uh, just like the, the tools, these are the tools they, that, that they used in that time. And uh, they all get old. Just as your computer becomes obsolete, your car eventually gets old. So you too, uh, the day will come when they say that this needs to retire. This needs to be uh, set aside. It is no longer working. Just as our cars have a day that they're manufactured and a day that they're recycled, uh, so our body is. There's a day we're born and there's a day where it must end. And then it says the dust returns to the earth and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Remember your creator, young people, before you get to that day. This is life under the curse. You're made from dust and to dust you shall return. We've seen already in the book of Ecclesiastes how the curse that God has placed on life plays itself out in, in, in so many other ways. Uh, and, and this part of the curse, too, must come. And so the call is to young people, to you as you're still breathing today, uh, whose heart is still pumping, who still has blood flowing through your veins. Remember your Creator now before those days come, because they are coming Mist of mist, says the preacher. Vapor of vapors. All is vapor. Psalm 103, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes for that brief moment like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. God has given you in this time an amazing gift of life. God has given you unique talents, unique abilities, God has set you on this good earth and given you innumerable good things to enjoy and explore. But all the exploration and all the enjoyment in the world will give you no lasting satisfaction nor any meaningful purpose if you do not remember your Creator now. Uh, If you don't see behind all the good things of this world, the wise, good, loving hand of your Creator calling you to know Him, to love Him, to live your life with Him, uh, and to submit and surrender your life to Him, uh, you miss the purpose of all the good things that God has placed in this world. You live in a garden of yeses, but those yeses will lead to bitter disappointment and frustration when you have to give them all up eventually, which you which you will, uh, unless you discover now how to entrust your entire life, the no's and the yes's, 
to the Lord, your creator, the one who holds you in his hands. Practically, what that means, that means engaging in his word now while you're young, while you have the ability to learn, to grow in your faith. Be busy in the word of God. Uh, know what his, his will is for your life here on earth. also means speaking to him in prayer, confessing your sins where you've sinned against him. Don't wait until it becomes ten times more difficult later in life to repent. Repent now while the sin is still small. Come clean while you still can. Call out to him as well for his spirit to live in you, to lead you, to guide you uh, in, in living your life in a way that's pleasing to him. So young people, is your life right with God? Are you remembering your creator? Are the things that you know you have in your life that are not going to stand in the day of judgment when you have to give him an account? Then come clean while you still can. Get right with God while you're still young. And the only way to do that, the only way is through the gospel by seeing your sins there on the cross of Christ, nailed there that you might be free and come to a new life, that the old man or the old woman would die and the new man, new woman would come to life. Speak uh, the truth to God. Confess your sins to God and receive the promises of God. And then know and believe that Christ died for you, not just for sinners out there, but for you, that you would live a new life under his love and favor. In other words, don't waste your youth. Give it as a gift to God who alone can repay it, who can make it worth it. Cast it on the, on the waters with the confidence that he can bring it back to you in the end. In all your ways, Proverbs 3, verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Delight yourself in the Lord, Psalm 37, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Because here's the truth. When you think of that picture of that decaying house, the beauty is for us in Christ, uh, if you're in Christ, the most beautiful part of winter, as hard as winter is, is that in Christ, that winter is followed by spring. Amen.